You're listening to the YouTube Advertising Accelerator Podcast, helping businesses and marketers all over the globe dominate the internet's second largest search engine. Here's your host, Matt Johnston. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Matt Johnston here with you. Uh, excited here today because we have um, video production on our minds today. And I think I think that a lot of times when people get into YouTube advertising or they're thinking about getting into YouTube advertising, one of the things that they always end up coming up against is, okay, great, I've heard how great this platform is. I should totally be advertising on YouTube. It's the world's second biggest search engine. It's, you know, it's obviously an extremely popular place. People are watching it more than they're watching television. Okay, I'll put my ads there. And then they're like, ah, I got to make video. And then they don't know how to make video. And it ends up turning into like a huge thing. So we're going to be talking about that a lot in the podcast, obviously, about how to create these video ads. Um, but I wanted to bring in someone uh, that I've worked with a lot um, and and would trust with my video life if necessary. <laughs> um, but uh, his, name's, his name's Kenny Wasis. Hey, Kenny, how's it going? Good, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, so Kenny, uh, Kenny worked with me in New York Magazine when I was um, the what was my t- I was I was executive producer at New York Magazine, uh, running the video team, and uh, Kenny ran all of our series and original content. And uh, I wanted to bring in Kenny because uh, I think that what what we're trying to do often and you know i've i've talked about it before about how we use this specific method for scripting youtube ads which gets people to know like and trust you within the space of the pre-roll youtube ad and so they're very super warmed up when they're on when they're on their way to either buying your product or signing up for your webinar or or whatever it is and uh, comedy is an incredible way to do that. And if, if you can find ways to integrate comedy into this process, and again, you know, this process, basically just the scripting process, and, Kate, and Kenny probably doesn't know, I mean, really very often we'll have someone talking to camera, although, you know, certainly you don't need to do that if you follow this format, but often we do have someone talking to camera and we'll, we'll go through this process, which is almost like a little mini webinar where we're, where we're basically, we're calling out the problem and the avatar at the beginning, uh, we're, we're saying that we, we, we understand we were in their position and we fixed it and we're going to show you how we did it. Um, you know, trying to get people out before the 30 second mark, cause you don't have to pay for people that skip the ad before the 30 second mark. So trying to get people that are not qualified out and then going into your authority building and then going into actually providing some real value or entertainment or demo, like whatever it is. And all of this is there so that you are more known, like, and trusted as you're trying to move people towards your offer. So one of the great ways to do that, to be known, like, and trusted is by using comedy. I mean, comedy is a great way to spark empathy, which is my favorite word on planet Earth. When when it comes to the internet, empathy is the heartbeat of everything. If you want to know why we click any link, watch any video, Usually at the heart of it, it's empathy. It's because we identify with something. And very often that identity is tied to some sort of emotion. And why do you laugh, you know, physiologically? Like you laugh physiologically because you're feeling some sort of emotion in that moment. So if we can find a way to work comedy in there, uh, I think that it's a huge, it's a huge thing. So Kenny, Kenny's been doing this stuff forever. Uh, he worked at, uh, IJR for a while made some incredibly big videos, a couple of viral videos with Kylie Jenner and Kendall. Uh, 
Right, right. And uh and uh Sarah Palin that 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 Sarah Palin 31 Rock video which uh also went viral which he was he was uh, he was responsible for. Yeah. And then he came and joined me at New York Magazine and you did all sorts of comedy stuff with us at New York Magazine. I mean, I know we did um I mean, th- obviously I always think about the uh why can't I remember his name? Eric Eric Andre Eric Andre video, yeah. which um, to, I, I was actually looking in our chat because you and I never really talk on Messenger. We've only texted. But the last time that I sent you a, uh, a message on Messenger was like when we were still working together, I think, or maybe it was just right after. And uh, it was just s- sending you the Eric Andre video and saying, uh, dude, do you know this has like over a million views now? Like it's just quietly <laughs> gone way over a million views and you didn't even know of course because yeah. it's just like it's it's, yeah. it's a slow bleed so i just wanted kenny to come on and talk a little bit about how he makes this comedy happen because it's a weird thing because comedy seems to often be um comedy seems to be one of these things where um it's like, oh, I can't teach that. And so if I can't teach that, I can't learn that. It's just something you're born with. But I don't really totally buy into that 100%. So I'd love to just talk to you, Kenny, a little bit about what specific strategies you use, um, both in production, post-production, um, and even in the uh, in the idea-generating phase, which I know you're incredible at generating ideas for comedy. Um, and... Uh, and, and sort of how you make that work. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd love to hear about that. And even if, if, if we could start even with the idea phase, I mean, how do you approach this stuff from, from the idea phase? Um, what my approach has been for doing anything comedy related or comedy adjacent is I don't consider myself uh, really a comedian and, Anyway, I, I'm a, I like to produce with comedians. So my approach, is, I think, always been is if you have access to a very funny person, be it a celebrity or whoever, um, just create an idea, a format, a concept that really just enables them to do what they do best. I think if you look at, you know, the Eric Andre video, if you look at um, – you know, this video I did with Tim Heidecker, this 100 years of Steve Bannon thing, you know, there was no real, you know, I didn't do anything besides just create a box for them to sort of work in and do their best work. And um, I mean, Eric Andre is someone who is like, who is amazing. If you work, if you follow him, he's like, he does great, you know, man on the street videos, he does great candid stuff. Um, So I was like, how can we come up with something that made sense for the brand New York magazine at the time. And also for Eric Andre and, you know, part of, you know, with New York mag was highbrow, lowbrow. So I figured, Hey, why don't we take Eric Andre, you know, who has this sort of this, you know, absurdist lowbrow type art approach uh, and pair that with, you know, highbrow, which was New York city public art and having him critique that, and then just having those variables of him versus the people of New York and these art. And I just really trusted that, you know, trust in the people you work with. And if you have funny people and you set them up for success, they're going to be funny. I love this idea though. Like let's, let's, let's drill a little bit more on this. I mean, we, we worked together on this one a lot. Well, whatever. Like I was just like the guy that like signed it and was like, yep, this is good stuff. 
<laughs> let's let the internet see it. Or, yeah. But, but, you know, of course I initially approved it, but, um, uh, uh, but 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 I think that this is a good example. Like so, let's let's dissect this a little bit. Yeah. So what? But 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 there must have been something in there as well that made you say this is going to be funny. And like, I feel like it's similar to the Steve Bannon thing too. Um, and and even Thirty One Rock and really like all this comedy stuff that you've done in the past. Is it does it have to do with this sort of polar opposites type thing, like a fish out of water? I mean, is 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 that like a sort of similar a similar theme in some way? Certainly, that's true with Eric Andre. But are we getting closer to something here? Uh, I mean, firstly, just the disclaimer on Thirty One Rock. I would say it's a stretch to call that comedy. I'd say it's comedically bad. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think what made that <laughs> that you know we can get into that. Why I think that worked. I think that was it worked if you can call it that metrically, um, not because it was funny, but because I think it just pissed people off. Um, and in terms of the, um, the Eric Andre stuff and why it worked. Um, and even, I mean, even with like, I would say it's like, I mean, you have like an incongruity there. Like you have like something highbrow, like public art by these famous artists. And then you have this absurdist comedian who, you know, we, you know, I asked him to interpret the art. So you just knew that whatever his response was going to be is not going to be what, you know, how, how an art critic would look at these pieces of public art would look at it. So then you have that sort of incongruity there. And then you also have you, the chance of these weird interactions with people on the street. Cause you have New Yorkers who are just notoriously New Yorkers, either they're funny, they're weird, they're impatient. So if you have someone pressing them, I mean, I just felt like it was this cocktail of comedic possibility, I guess. And um, and it came through and he, it was crazy because he showed up. I think he had just woken up. He had a coffee in his hand. And as soon as I hit record, like he was on. And, um, and he just, you know, it was just enabling him to do what he does best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Um... Well, right, and then, you know you've 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 mentioned that before, allowing what 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 you do to do best. What if you were to ask to make a sort of comedic piece with someone that wasn't inherently comedic? What would that process be uh, look like? Oh God, that's scary. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Can you? Is the real? Um, uh, I guess you could rely on you could try relying on the editing and do like a lot of times. I mean, so much of the internet humor is or with like funny, weird internet video. Like awkwardness is a vein that can be tapped for comedy. So if you have somebody who like may not be funny and is trying to be funny and it's just terrible, you can sort of home in on that in the editing. You know, do some weird zooms. I don't know sound effects. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that's that's a difficult challenge, like trying to be funny with non-funny people. I don't know if that if you can do it. <laughs> I'd say find people. There's, right, funny people I, I, there's funny people everywhere. You know, it's just uh, finding the right people. Is is there something to be said for sort of? I mean, is is it always necessary for the person to be funny? So I, I'm going to challenge you on this a little bit because I don't think so. Because I think that you have made enough videos in your life, which I have found 
that have some wit to them, yeah. but don't actually have any human being in it. I mean, from anything from, uh, you know, there have definitely been simpler social videos that you and I have made together where you've managed to inject a little bit of wit or maybe it's uh, other things that you've just sort of shot around and you've said this needs like, this needs a little bit of a blast of the, uh, a blast of the unexpected in a way that some might call humor. So, I mean, there, there, there's got to be something there at the core thematically that can sort of get you to, uh, you know, sort of like that, that comedic place without needing to work with somebody that's right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me, uh, let me, I get, yeah. I mean, of course, then you, you, then I guess whoever this person would be who would be trying to do this is starting to have to start thinking, I guess, comedically um, with whatever source material they have. Um, I'm just trying to think of like a good example of something where I produced in the past that wasn't maybe on its face funny or inherently funny and then how it was dressed up. Um, I'm trying to think of a good, I mean, I made like, I used to do all these vines with content where it was politicians oftentimes who weren't funny. There weren't funny moments. And, um, right. It's, it's just looking for stuff that you can reinterpret and recontextualize. And, um, and yeah, I'm just trying to think, do you, do you remember any good examples of like where it was, I, it was like a video that I worked on that like was, I'm just trying to think. Sure, there's there. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of examples. One, I mean, there, there there's one. I mean, did, didn't you make some viral video of some like uh, congressmen and senators um, doing uh, like like what were they smashing phones or something oh, like that? What was yeah, that video? Yeah. So I mean, okay, well, I mean, like, yeah, I guess that's a good way to look at it. Um, we it was early on in the 2016 election. This is when I was at IJR. Um, one of Donald Trump's first antics was he gave out Senator Lindsey Graham's cell phone number in this public broadcast, and it became huge news because that was like the first time that like he had started just acting like Donald Trump um, on the 2016 trail, and it became this big news story. And then we ended up having access to Lindsey Graham, and one of our producers um, sort of pitched him on destroying his cell phone because of course as a result of Donald Trump giving out a cell phone number he's going to be getting barraged with all these calls um and um so we pitched him on that and believe it or not this sitting uh Lindsey Graham sitting U.S. senator agreed to come in and destroy some cell phones and I think we sort of like sold it to him like oh you don't have to do anything crazy but we of course created this crazy obstacle course for him you know, with a katana and a golf club and an <laughs> oven and all this, you know, all these weird ways to destroy your cell phone, throwing it off a roof. And he came in and, you know, the initial promise of like just, you know, breaking a cell phone in a couple of ways ended up turning into this, him doing the actual obstacle course and being totally game to do it. So, yeah, I guess we took like pretty dry subject material, source material, which was like, a U.S. senator responding to a politician doing something and did it in a way that was very visual and very internet-y. And then, you you know, again, and I think a lot of comedy is just incongruity, I guess, where you have this, you know, the gravitas of a sitting senator and the seriousness of politics with them doing, 
you know, him destroying the cell phone in this, all these different crazy ways. Um, and it ended up going really well and he was game and he did it and it was a really fun shoot and the video went gangbusters and, um, you know, got picked up on, you know, Jon Stewart and Colbert and all the late night shows. Um, pretty much every news broadcast had it running and that sort of became our thing, I guess, you know, I guess thematically, you know, that's what we were doing with politicians that we were taking sort of like the seriousness of the 2016 election and all of these very thirsty politicians and just having them do really absurd things. And I think early on in that election, they were just really desperate to be seen and be, you know, be noticed in the pack. And all of a sudden we became known as this place where, you know, we can give you a viral video as long as you come and play ball with us. So, you know, we did that with Lindsey Graham. We also had, um, what else did we do? We had, um, and this one, I, w- I wasn't on this one. This was another producer, but Ted Cruz cooked machine gun bacon at one point, which is uh, a bizarre <laughs> video. Um, yeah. And then what we had Carly Fiorina. Oh, no, we had, this one was actually one of my, I get, I wasn't, I pitched this video and then it was produced without me. Um, the guy went out to Iowa and did it, but it was like, I think we should have all these thirsty presidential candidates pardon turkeys. Um, so one of the producers went out to Iowa during like right before the caucus, I think. And he actually wrangled a, um, a turkey. Oh, I don't know. A turkey farmer. I don't know what you call him. Um, someone with a turkey and he got him in his room <laughs> at this convention and um, uh-huh. it was it was just this really bizarre video. I think one of the funniest parts of the video that wasn't it was just totally on accident was that this turkey to, to for it to be safe for these presidents to come pardon and pet or whatever. You had these like disembodied hands at the bottom of the frame that were holding the turkey's legs from behind the table, um, and it was just this bizarre video where you had it was like Ben Carson, Marco Rubio, Carly Fiorina. Who else was in that? I think there was one more, but they were all pardoning this turkey and giving their commentary on it. And um, it was just a, such a bizarre, you know, some people might think it's funny. Some people thought it was weird and awful. Some people, at the end of the day, it achieved its goal, which was get people to watch it, talk about it. Um, and I think sometimes, and that's sort of been my approach with some of those videos early on was like, maybe less about trying to be funny and like, how can we get do we, how do we do something that is going to get people to talk about it? So, um, and that was sort of a lot, our, our guiding ethos, I guess, for some of those weird political videos. Yeah, but it really, it really comes back again to that opposition thing. It's like that fish out of water thing again, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got these, you got these senators, and then you have the, I mean, the this like obstacle course, right? I mean, you yeah. have the machine gun bacon, right? <laughs> Obviously, yeah. this is like a, yeah. I mean, they, it, was a, it, was, it was sort of a, yeah. But um, uh, it's it's still that sort of opposition thing, I feel like. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget when I was hiring you and you sent me your spec video, I felt that that video was really funny for a little social video. I mean, this is one of the things that I, this is like one of the things that I built my career on was these, this, these like little viral one minute Facebook videos. And uh, what I felt like, what I felt like um, 
you were able to do in that test video. You don't even remember it, I'm sure. Uh, no, you know what? I'm yeah, sure I you do. It. I remember but it. it was, uh, you know, like I, I just, I just remember like you, like stock footage. I mean, obviously there were, there were things that were like just inherently funny, like Arrested Development clips and stuff. But, but I also think that like I just remember stuff like it was a science, it was a science video. I think like you were covering a scientific topic, and I don't remember what it was now. But I think it was like I just remember the stock sibling. video clip. What was it? It was like um, was it? siblings and how they're like more younger siblings are more emotional or something like that. Or I can't remember. Um, <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. But I just remember this stock video clip of these like two like random people like having a pillow fight. And it's just absurd. Like in that moment. Even though like it might have been a toss off to you, I just feel like this is your comedic intuition coming out. In that moment, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, okay, like he knows, like he is like he knows, um, like he's in on the joke with the like he's bringing the audience in on the joke with him because the audience all sort of knows that it's a stock video clip and like it's just abs- like absurdly cute and makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I, <laughs> I don't mean- know, but again, yeah. A lot of that, a lot of that video. I, actually, I just I, I found it on my computer again. Um, but yeah, it was like it was me just leaning on recontextualizing people who are already funny. That and it was sort of understanding the source material that I was working with was that it was like this study on on parents and oh, I think it was parents and what which kids they like most, youngest or oldest or something along those lines. And I just immediately thought of Arrested Development mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Mrs. Bluth, because she had this relationship with Job and um, Tobias and, or not Tobias, uh, just the relationship with Job. Why can't I think of the other one? Uh, Michael? Job? No, not Michael. Well, I guess it's George. Uh, I don't know. It, it, essentially, she was just like this very funny mom who had... Um, you know, these crazy relationships with their kids. And I was like, Oh, I can recontextualize these clips to fit this, you know, this text on screen video and try to make it something that, you know, allow that footage to help make it funny, I guess. So I just used a lot of those clips. I think so much of the internet is just recontextualizing stuff. Like you can do so much funny things with the recontextualization of stuff that already exists, you know, editing stuff. Um, around whatever idea that you're working with. And that was a lot of that video was just, you know, Mrs. Bluth being funny. And then, you know, I think I had a clip in there with like, what is it? Mark Wahlberg screaming about being a peacock or something. And Mark Wahlberg actually is the youngest, <laughs> the youngest child in his family. Um, and how they, you know, the, 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 the study showed that youngest kids want more attention. So I was like, Oh, that works. So it was recontextualizing that moment. So it was much less about like making the script funny and just finding stuff that already exists it was funny and applying it recontextualizing it to to work within the framework i guess if that makes any sense yeah i mean recontextualizing i mean it's it's a really it's 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 a cool thing that's coming out of this i mean like all of this stuff is like you're playing in oppositions i mean you're and and it's and you're doing fish out of water type stuff and yeah i mean like you're you're but I, I, I feel like this is adaptable across the board, you know, and because it's just not a way that people often think. I think that people are often thinking in alignment with a singular topic. And I feel like maybe the brainstorm 
the brainstorm strategy when you're saying that you want to inject a little bit of comedy is maybe just do um, thought experiments around, you know, sort of fish out of water type stuff. I mean, if you can find a way to recontextualize this boring thing, this boring person in, so, I mean, that that's basically the formula for absurdism. So uh, I think, if, I, think if I feel like that is, yeah. If, if you, if you look at a lot of what's really successful, I don't, and I don't know what this says about the internet um, or YouTube or video or at large, is that so much of YouTube now is just people react to videos and they're just massively successful. Everybody has one of these series. Like you can look at the biggest publishers on the internet. You can look at Wired. I think New York Mag does them now. I think every damn large YouTube channel does it. It's like people react to things. You know, uh, dinosaur experts react to dinosaur scenes. So then all of a sudden you have an incongruity there where you're like, okay, we have somebody who is this authority who is probably pretty self-serious and there's this nerdy science type person and they're going to have to look at these silly dinosaur videos. You have an incongruity there. You want to see the reaction. And I think just like from a, a broad stroke is that like people, that's what people want to watch. They want to see people react to things. They want to see sort of that friction and I think that sort of just guided a lot of what I've done in the past, like is always trying to create an environment where there's going to be some sort of reaction that you're going to have some sort of friction. Like even with, um, you know, I produced a series toward the end when I was at New York mag with Jerry salts, like you have someone who is this highbrow or not, I, I wouldn't, I want to say Jerry's super highbrow. I think he's more accessible than other art critics, but you have something as highbrow as art and art criticism and these famous pieces of art. And I took replicas and reproductions of, you know, for example, like, um, Michael, like, uh, Michelangelo's David. And I found a reproduction and I put it in a New York subway with Jerry salts. And I was like, okay, this is the environment. We have something that's very highbrow art, art critic, and we're putting it in something that's very gritty, um, available to everybody and all walks of life and New York subways, you know, you never know who you're going to have in there. And we just sort of waited. And at that point it was just, I was like, I knew Jerry was amazing with um, pretty much anyone. He's just great. He's a great talker. He's great. He's very candid in interactions and he's obviously very informed as an art critic. And you had all this, we just had all these amazing interactions and it was just sort of taking those variables and creating an environment for them to work. And it does sort of come back to what you're saying is like, these incongruities, the fish out of water, like creating something where if you're working with, you know, if you're a small business and you're working with someone who specializes in one thing, take them out of what they specialize in. Nobody wants to see them do what they know they can already do. Challenge them, put them in a predicament where they're going to have to react and truly have to overcome something or be faced with something because that's what makes it more interesting to watch, not something that people just can already anticipate and expect what the outcome is going to be. That's yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and, and, and at some point, I think I need to do a whole episode on how you would sort of direct people um, in general. Um, because I, because I feel like, you know, I used, I spent all my twenties as a theater director. Right. Yeah. And, and when I am on set, like working with, working with actors um, or like just not actors, but even just, just people in general, when I'm shooting you, when I'm shooting YouTube videos or when I'm shooting 
whatever, uh, I often find myself directing the 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 person, the subject, to just yeah. freaking be like, do the like, just do stuff, like be you, like don't be like a version, like a different thing, like let the let the concept and the framework that we put you in do the work, and then just actually do it. So if you actually put a challenge in front of them, like you need to carve this turkey. Yeah. with like your eyes closed, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah. you know, I mean, like it's, it's different. So it's kind of like a lot of times I think you can think about the result when you're actually like shooting, when you're, when you're actually shooting the thing. And that's, 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 that's really interesting stuff. So I think this is a huge, this is a huge takeaway. I mean, it's like, if, if there's like one comedic exercise you can do, I mean, you could brainstorm on how to recontextualize and flip certain scenarios. Like how do you put, you know, like, how do you put a diamond inside of a, like, you know, like a diamond ring inside of like, uh, I don't know, like a clamshell or something. And like, like, how do you put like something extremely one way and put it inside something extremely another way and then just sort of see what happens? And it's kind of it's kind of an interesting concept. Now, what about editing? What about post-production? How yeah. much of how much of how much of comedic stuff in post-production are you thinking about during production? I mean, I always preach when I'm talking to like new video producers and, and, and whatnot that you need to be thinking about post-production while you're shooting. And obviously any good video producer would do just that. But how does that process work for you? Are you talking like, like comedically in post-production or just in general thinking about producing with post-production in mind, what, you know, adding motion in post or yeah let's 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 talk specifically about 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 comedic elements um i'm trying to think of a good example uh where i've i sort of produced with post in my oh i mean like uh i think that like going back to when we first did um that rick and morty uh improv thing with uh, the cast of Rick and Morty. Um, that was just them. The mm. first video was just a round table of them doing this. Like we, you know, g- gave them this, this prompt and let them just be themselves. And it was them being funny. And, th- and that's what they do best. And then the second time around I pitched them and I was like, all right, I'm going to create another container for an idea for them to work in, which was, it's like Rick and Morty go to SpongeBob, you know, like put Rick and Morty in SpongeBob world. Like, some, some sort of crossover thing. And that was like the prompt. And I was like, all right, let's see what they come up with. But the entire, what I had in mind is that I had just hired um, this animator who was really good in uh, character animation, character uh, in rigging uh, characters of an animation. And she was just great in characters. And so I knew that going into that video is that like the goal was create, um, you know, this, this video, this format for them to, you know, the cast of Rick and Morty to do this improv prompt that we can animate and post and bring it to life. Um, and when I just remember like listening and I was just like taking notes on specific moments throughout that little, um, their improv session and like, and just had ideas that we were going to, I was going to go to the animator with and have her sort of bring to life. Um, and she did, and it came to life and she did an amazing job. And it was just, I guess, I mean, I guess it's the closest I can get to talking like about um, what I've done with comedic production with posts in mind 
was just like working with this group of really talented comedians and voice actors, created a box that I knew was going to be something we could animate. And while I was watching it, just taking notes and really paying it, you know, paying a close, paying close attention to the moments that would be best to animate and, you know, bring to life. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what about just in post? I mean, you know, there, I think there's, there's even little things like, uh, I remember the video that we did with Nick Offerman, we had him lay down on the couch and, uh, talk about the nature of masculinity. And like his answer was basically like, I don't know what, ma- you know, like masculinity does not mean to me necessarily what it means to what, what you might think it means, you know, based on me being like the stereotypical masculine. <laughs> oh, like, you're talking about posts like, like posts on like the publishing side, like, edit, like editorial framing. No, no. Well, well, that's, that's interesting too, but no, actually editing the video. So, so I actually remember with that video, the music yeah, no. that you chose to put behind it was, do you remember what it was? I, I, I don't, honestly. I think it was very presidential. I believe like very like, like presidential, like, like hail to the chief with a little bit of like an inspirational tone in there. Yeah. Um, which in a way was sort of antithetical. I feel like most people, most people would do a Nick Offerman video and they would be like, Oh, how can we find like a way to like, give it like a woodsy sort of vibe or it's just too easy. Yeah. Right. It's too like on the nose. And I, I, I feel like in general, that's a lot of what we're talking about. Right. Is that when you're too, on the nose with 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 certain comedic concepts or the execution of them in the editing process, um, th- that's not really where funny comes from, right? It comes yeah. from not being on the nose. Yeah, you don't want to try too hard. I think that's very uh, that's fatal. <laughs> so, what does uh, that mean? In, but, but what does that mean to you? Like, if you can dig deeper on that, like what like what is trying too hard? Like what is like, like if you're trying, if, if you, if you, if you find yourself trying too hard to be funny, what does it look like? You just sort of come, yeah. you're like too congruent with it or. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. I, I feel like it's not hard to find on the internet. It's people who, you know, they'll have some, God, I, I don't know. It's just like, you know it when you see it. You see, you know it when you see bad comedy. When someone has like something that they wrote or they're acting, and it's just a bad bit. And there's just I don't. There's sort of a magic to it, and the badness of it sometimes. And there's obviously magic to it when it just works. I think so much of the comedy on the internet, like it doesn't have to be highly produced. I think the more highly produced, the bigger the risk of it sucking. Um, I think so mm-hmm. much of the best stuff on the internet is just like really weird bizarre stuff that's just so accidentally funny and i yeah i think a lot of it is like don't overthink it um don't overproduce it definitely like don't like if you think that if you're you know like say you're working with a small business and they're like all right we're gonna write this really funny script and we're gonna shoot it this way like you know it's it's risky as soon as you get into scripted comedy like you should be working with people who are practiced in it like i think if you have people who don't aren't comedy writers and you know, they're trying to like produce an ad spot that's funny and write comedically. I think that's just like, that can get scary quick. I mean, find people who are funny. Every town's got comedians. Find you find your local funny person, really just give them a platform, help them enable them to do what they do best and help, 
you know, use, use their funniness and create an, you know, a box for them to work in that works with whatever your business is, whatever your ad spot is and, you know, see and go from there. But I guess that would be a big, that'd be a big takeaway is that like a lot of so many people on the internet think that, you know, they're really funny. And if you're, and they, you know, oh, they can figure out how to like script something funny or do this, something like, no, like there are people like it's tough. So I think if you're doing like weird stuff in posts and editing, like look at what other people are doing, look at like what, I don't know, editors like Vic Berger do. Like you can obviously have fun with weird snap zooms and sound effects and recontextualizing moments on the internet. But if you're going into like scripted stuff where you're trying to do something that is like promotey or, you know, a little bit more polished, like I guess that would be like, find funny people and enable them, I guess. Yeah. Is, is there anything else about uh, post-production that you had in mind? Sort of like things in, things in editing specifically? Yeah. I, you know what? I've got a good example. Um, I was working with this editor on one of the Vulture Spot studios. It's where we have celebrities come in and they're interviewed about whatever show, TV that they're promoting. And we had um, the guys from Good Omens or Bad Omens, one of those movies. It was John Hamm, um, David Tennant, and Michael Shane. And our host had them do sides from, I think, Hamlet and read the parts from like a certain scene within Hamlet. And it was just, it ended up being really great because, yeah, David Tennant, Michael Sheen were totally down, and John Hamm, you could tell, was not down, and they eventually convinced him to do it, um, which was, I think, just funny seeing how reluctant John Hamm was to do it. But in the edit, like you have Michael Sheen and David Tennant and they are in it. They are performing it. They're killing it. They've obviously done it before. And I think John Hamm was doing Ophelia. And like when it went to his line, like he just like read it in the flattest way possible. And it was just like this very deadpan delivery. And Mm -hmm. the editor who was this really talented editor who had, I, I think he had great comedic instincts is that he had this, like this medieval music playing during um, David Tennant and Michael Sheen's part that was like carrying the scene and it felt like it had a great pace and cadence to it. And the minute that it went to John Hamm, he just cut the music. And then you have John Hamm give this really deadpan delivery. And it was just so funny. And it was not only, I think part of it was funny because of just John Hamm not being into it, but the, the abrupt stop of it in the edit, just it really just registered. And it was just such a great moment in the video. I remember I was watching it um, with all the people we had on set because we were editing these sort of in real time and everybody loved it. Everybody laughed at it. And that was something that was a moment that wasn't even that, you know, inherently funny, but that editing little, and all it was was just cutting the music just made it that much better. Um, and yeah, and I, you know, I did another one with like, um, I think it was the cast of uh, Riverdale and I had them or we had them um, in the, this host, they were interpreting um, these really bizarre eccentric German words, um, but they were doing it, interpreting it with their faces, I guess, <laughs> these sort of facial reactions to these words. And um, in the edit, I did, I did a couple of, you know, music cuts. I did some snap zooms. I did some um, desaturation fades that sort of just like ramped up the, um, I don't know, the seriousness of it. I mean, so much of it, I think, is music too. Music, 
um, a real like nut for finding music that really pairs well with moments and then can contrast with it or accelerate it. Or, and mm. So yeah, I feel like yeah. music is huge. Like really learn, like picking good music, picking music that's not cliche and also like ducking it at the right times, putting it in the right places. Um, yeah, I think that you can do a lot with just cutting music, starting music, music choices. And also, of course, you know, little light effects, zooms in, like quick zooms in, zoom out. And that doesn't even have to be, you know, something you want to After Effects where you're just doing a premiere, like keyframe. That's sort of like the internet-y aesthetic zoom, which is like this sort of sloppy zoom into it. But, you know, it's for the internet. It doesn't have to, you know, you're not creating cinema there. You're just creating fun little clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, 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 I think the use of music is huge there for sure. The, the, the use of music and how, again, like how you, how you're contextualizing all of this stuff. Um, I mean, but a, a lot of the like the the raw material is so important. And then you know, with with something like the John Hamm video, you know, you had uh, you had him that just delivered it deadpan. Um, but you were able to sort of accelerate that moment. You were able to like give more to that moment, uh, based on that, you know? Um, yeah, I think just cutting the music really amplified the, the humor and his unwillingness to like sort of play along because like you just had this really funny pairing with these two guys who were just performing it beautifully and were so into it and were having fun. And then I think cutting the music and really just, I mean, because essentially like the scene was with David Tennant and Michael Sheen and like cutting to John Hamm, it was like a whole different scene altogether. So having the music drop and having him um, just sort of not play along, I think, yeah, I think it just uh, amplified um, the, the humor that was John Hamm not being down for this thing. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and I'll forever be jealous of you, of course, because even though, I, even though we... <laughs> You and I interviewed some pretty high-profile people together during the couple of years that we worked together, but um, never, never interviewed my my favorite doctor from Doctor Who, and you managed to do that after I left. So thanks for that. Which one was your favorite? Was it David David Tennant? D- David Tennant. Yeah, yeah, he's like my yeah, hero. He's great, he so nice, and that's rare. I feel like he and the fact that like our our host Natalie uh, Walker, who's just this phenomenal host and actress. Um, she just, I feel like that's another challenge is getting people to do stuff, especially when you're working with talent and she yeah. just pitched it to him and kind of like press them a little bit and they both, they all did it. So, um, and they, yeah, he was, he was really fun. It was, it was a great, great little, great little shoot. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, th- this was, this was, this was super useful. Um, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kenny. Um, I feel like we learned a lot, a lot here. I mean, because I, I, I really do feel like there's a couple of takeaways out of this. I mean, if, if you're sort of advanced in the video world, there's a lot you can take away from this. But even if you're just getting into this stuff a little bit and you want to think about cont- uh, getting some comedy in there, I think that there were, there were, there's a lot of through lines that we're seeing through all of your, uh, all of your most viral stuff that's sort of, that's sort of actually passed through, you know, like, again, like it is something that you can sort of learn. And a lot of ways you have to sort of, um, and you have to get better at it, but you have to just like change the way your brain works. Right. You just have to sort of change the way that you think about certain moments. Um, and also change what you, I, I think often change what concept you think 
like what 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 you think is funny and what you think does not be funny. Because how many times has somebody come up to you and been like, "I have a really funny idea. Wouldn't it be funny if?" And like, it's never it's never funny, right? You're like, "Huh? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. great idea." (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Thanks so much, Kenny. I super super appreciate you uh, you coming on this. I know that people are just gonna love this stuff. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this week. Super, super stoked um, to be talking about video production. We'll be here with you next week. Entirely new topic, making you the best you can be at YouTube advertising. Thanks so much, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.